Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sports Dome podcast. Ashes day two breakdown of the second test. The current match situation is as Australia all out for 416. Stephen Smith brings up his 32nd test match century with 110. Ollie Robinson finishes 3 for 100. Josh Tong finishes 3 for 98. And in response, England are 278 for 4. With Ben Duckett scoring 98, Harry Brook not out on 45, Ben Stokes not out on 17. And England are trailing by another 138 runs. Well, I'll tell you what, if the aim of baseball is to entertain, it's certainly doing that much. What another gripping day of, of Test Match Cricket. I think we have to start from the top and sort of... I guess discuss the fact that I think Australia did not maximise on their advantage... I think at the end of the day, Australia was 339 for 5. It should have probably been 339 for 4, if not 339 for 3. Uh, there were two dismissals at the end of the day, which could have well and truly been avoided. Nevertheless, they did occur. But even at 339 for 5, with the likes of Alex Carey, who's in great form, the the sort of the un, un, unmovable force that is Stephen Smith, at the crease, eyeing up another test match century, um, and you can say that he's not driven by milestones, he is. I, I think any any great player is driven by milestones. That being said, that doesn't make them selfish, it just makes them great, I think. Um, Mitchell Stark now so added into team, so that's in fact sort of reinforcing their tail, because he'll bat ahead of Pat Cummins, I mean, he did bat ahead of Pat Cummins, and Pat Cummins was the hero from the previous match. Nathan Lyon sort of looking... Um, uh, force with the bat as well. So Australia still had plenty of resources to, I reckon, get to at least 450. And I think if they got to 450, then England would have had to bat very, very well to get something out of this test match. In the end, Australia got to 416, which is, uh, I mean, if you're looking at it, it's only 34 runs short from 450. So you say it's not making a big difference, but they caught to 416. Um... They got 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 there with a few Pat Cummins boundaries at the end. I, England probably could have kept them to 400, even. So it, it was a bit of a collapse in the morning. Start of Alex Carey being a sort of held LBW. It was actually a pretty good ball by Stuart Broad. And for once, a, a correct review uh, by, by Stuart Broad. Uh, Steve Smith brought up his 100 in a scintillating fashion. The cover drive, uh, sort of a decorated feature of his innings, bringing him and taking him there. But ultimately, the cover drive is actually what got him out. He, for once, got way ahead of his body. Uh, his hands weren't in the right position for once. They sort of, the, the awkward shape um, that are his hands, for once, actually got him out, um, which was an interesting part. And yeah, the rest of Australia couldn't really offer much resistance. Pat Cummins tried 416, yeah, and, and I think you feel that Australia probably left 50 out there. And those 50 out there may be, may be a big, big sort of factor in this match because it's the difference between England chasing 350 and 300. It's the difference between England chasing 400 and 350. And I think with, with this England side, you don't know what target is enough. And therefore, you need to sort of hold on to every single run you can. Uh, unfortunately, for Australia, they probably didn't hold on to 50, uh, as they should have. I thought Josh Tong, once again in the morning, was quite good. I thought Stuart Broad and James Anderson were much better. I think Anderson had found a bit of extra rhythm. I think he was hitting his highest paces of the Test Series so far. I think, in fact, the wicket ball that he got was his quickest delivery of the Test match. Ollie Robinson cleaned up the tail. Um, I guess backing up his assertion that Australia are three number 11s. Only a shame that he couldn't do that at Edgbaston. Uh, I think England did well. Uh, I think they came out with sort of a calmer heads and got the job done, ensuring that their 
combatants now had sort of a, an opportunity to go about and express themselves and sort of get ahead, England ahead of the test match, or at least keep them in the test match. Going to England's batting. Actually, sorry, before we go to England's batting, let's sort of put into perspective what Steve Smith has achieved. We all know he's good. We all know he's one of the best ever. We all know that he's probably the best test batter of this generation. Better than Virat Kohli, better than Joe Root, better than Ken Williamson, in my opinion. And I think it may have been a debate a few years ago when his greatness was still sort of starting to pile on more more volume of work. But now with the 9,000 test runs, I think he's got enough volume of work and I think he's separated himself from the others. Um, Steve Smith has 500s and 350s in his last 13 in innings in England. This is his 32nd test 100. He goes level with Steve Waugh as a second, most by any Australian test battle. Um, and he's played 69 tests less than Steve Waugh, I believe. Uh, 12 of these 32 centuries are coming against England. Eight of them are in England. Second most test hundreds in Ashes history. These stats are ridiculous. To have 12 hundreds against England, eight of them in England, five hundreds and three fifties in the last 13 innings in England, second most test hundreds in Ashes history, that is probably what every Australian batter wished they could do in their dreams, to step up in the biggest rivalry away from home where Australians have struggled for decades, centuries. England is probably the toughest place to bat other than India for Australians, in, in my opinion. Um, in this series, you can make the argument that it's actually not that tough to bat. The pitches are quite benign and docile. The words of Stephen Smith, actually, um, at the close of play yesterday. But in 2015, they weren't. In 2019, they definitely weren't. Ask David Warner. Ask Michael Clark. Ask Osman Khwaja. Ask all of the Australians that got dropped in, in England. Steve Smith wasn't one of them, though. He's, in fact, the guy that's always sort of, with his batting, kept them within touching distance, or at least kept them not from getting humiliated on most occasions in England. And it's, it's ridiculous what he's able to do with such a, te a technique that's anomalous, a technique that's an outlier, a technique that's going to be sort of the um, part of a great book or a great work um, later down the line because someone needs to study this, someone needs to decode this. There has to be a coaching manual made out of Steve Smith's technique, not, not to be said that you should coach people to be like Steve Smith because he's unique and it's probably to an extent uncoachable but you should figure out what works um, and I guess from the eye test what we know works is um, I think I think his hands I think his hands are the pillar of his batting uh, the, his ability to maneuver grip his ability to maneuver angles his ability to sort of um, maneuver maneuver fields uh, I think a lot of it is also mental and that desire to succeed, that that obsession over the game. People call him crazy for it. To an extent, it, it is it is quite crazy, but maybe the, the craziness is what what, what leads him to greatness. Um, Barnson the Racing, as he always does, wrote a great article. Um, yeah, wrote a great article in the in the lead up to the test match. Uh, Streetsman sort of, I guess, to an extent, self. Um, self-talk in this case self-criticism it was of his batting in the net session how he just obsessed and once he sort of had a bad run of shots he would keep batting keep batting keep batting to get even better but then he had another bad run of shots so he kept batting kept batting kept batting again to get even better and he'd criticize himself so often we've all heard these stories about him shadow batting in his room um obsessed with the game 
him and Ravi Chandrashwin have great similarities, in fact, I think, in their sort of obsession, this scientist nature of the game, this perfectionist nature that they have, and it shows in Steve Smith's record. He has over 9,000 runs, basically at an average of over 60. He has over 15,000 international runs. This is greatness. We are witnessing greatness, and I think it's... I think we just have to take it in and enjoy it, because it's inexplicable, it's anomalous, it's an outlier um, in terms of technique and stats, but what it is, is an athlete at the peak of his abilities showing how it is done. I tell you, someone who's showing how it's done and sort of living up to the words that he said before at the start of the test match is Zach Crawley. How good did he look? That was pretty good Zach Crawley stuff. Um, I openly said um, on this podcast yesterday that Zach Crawley and Ben Duckett could be a bit out of their depth on a pitch that has as much lateral movement as this does. To be fair to my point, there was around like 1.2 degrees less lateral movement when Australia bowled compared to when England bowled. The green tinge that was on the pitch in the first morning at uh, Lords had now sort of evened out. Uh, and, and due to the, the sort of the rolling of the pitch, it had probably flattened out, and the pitch looked now quite flat, and, and Steve Smith admitted that it, it was quite flat. Um, nevertheless, I, I think that doesn't sort of, that isn't the reason Zach Rowley scored well. I think why reason Zach Rowley scored well is because I think there is some sort of confidence and some sort of semblance of, some sort of, I think, semblance from his his own point of view of, I think he he knows to an extent now how he needs to bat to succeed at this level. His body movement and picking of length is what I want to focus on. There was one ball, I'll be honest, I don't have the exact sort of, I guess, timestamp of, of which delivery it was, but there was one ball that Josh Hazelwood bowled to him, and as sort of as soon as Hazelwood released it, Zach Woolley's body was instantly seen to position, according to the line and length of the ball. His body movement and picking length yesterday was supreme. He was so early to judge where the ball was going to go. He was so early to get himself into position. That two good positions, I thought. Um, he was a bit scratchy at the start, but the, the, the drives, the, the, the flicks, the straight drives, it was, it was elegance. It was, um, to an extent, nonchalance and arrogance backing up his, his pre-match com- comments. Um, and I think it was just an unreal sort of unreal confidence in his abilities, unreal confidence in his techniques, but I think there is actually uh, a functioning technique developing in Zach Crawley, and uh, I think the, the, the unreal reading of deliveries and the unreal timing that he produced yesterday is a testament to that. If we're going to focus on Zach Crawley, I think we have to focus on um, his sort of accomplice, uh, his, his other open on Ben Duckett, and his 98 runs that he made. I think... Um, the, the standout of Ben Duckett's um, great 98-run innings was his shot range and how he toyed with Australian bowls. I think Australia probably bowled a, a bit too straight and, and a bit too short and wide to Ben Duckett, but I think he created this to an extent. They started off in the, the, in the normal test match lines, um, going like probably fifth stump line, going probably back of a good length or just on a good length, sort of trying to force him to cut one, trying to force him to sort of play a, a square punch or a square drive and nick off, which is a tendency of Ben Duckett, that sometimes he doesn't read the correct length to play the cut shot and the correct length to uh, on when to punch and, and when to drive. But what did he repay that with? He played a few wonderful straight drives. So then Australia sort of had to shorten it up and I guess commit to a plan, um, which was to sort of try tempt him to play in the cut shot and hopefully either get a nick or actually get him caught um 
in that deep point region where they had sort of two fielders that um one as sort of like a deeper scully and one as actually like a, a a regulation deep point but even that what did he do then he sort of rolled his wrists a bit more he started playing his cuts in in, in front and point around the cover region there were numerous times that travis had had to sort of cut around and, and cut the ball off and then as soon as he got straight he would flick he would flick supremely that, that shot is probably one of the that shot and the cut shot are probably his two strength shots so to get straight and short and wide are probably antithetical to what you normally want to bowl to Ben Duckett. But because he had played the good length ball so well, they sort of had to. Then initially, after T, they went back to the, the good length deliveries. And what do you keep doing? Drive down the ground, drive down the ground. And now they finally then went to the pull shot. Before he got out in the pull shot, I think he had taken on 21 pulls. Out of that, he has scored 23 runs. There were quite a few top edges, quite a few ones that sort of landed in the in the gap, but there were a few pull shots that were actually also coming off. Finally, on 98, he he couldn't execute that final pull shot and, and, and was caught. But this unbelievable range that he had, cut, drive, punch, drive down the ground, flick, pull to an extent, um, and sort of the funky shots that he plays off the spin, as we know, the reverse sweeps, the laps. But he was even taking Nathan Lyon sort of down the ground at, at a stage. It shows that Ben Duckett actually has a very good range of test match batting shots. And while he may not potentially be as elegant as Zach Crawley, I actually thought his innings was dominant. It was supremely dominant and controlled. And to an extent, Australia were getting desperate on on how to get him out. Luckily, they did get him out on 98. But Ben Duckett, I think, I think showed, a, showed great justice to his skills and talent. And I think England have now got Ben Duckett as a bit of confidence that he can perform at this top level. No asterisks, anything. Best attack in the world, biggest series in the world. He's performed, and hopefully uh, for England, he and, and Ben Duckett, he kicks on from here. Now to focus on the chaos of the London evening. There was 30 minutes of cricket, and it started off with a plan that was enacted out of desperation by Australia. It was a plan to try and dismiss Ben Duckett. He top-edged a few times, and it landed safely. But he continued to take the short pitch bowling on, a uh, central theme of that evening. Ollie Pope, uh, at the other end, went up to Ben Duckett, as Ben Duckett revealed in the in the post-match, in the sort of the, the end-of-day press conference, and said, I'm going to turn to the other side and hit it for six. Fair enough. That, that's the confidence and freedom that Basball is, is uh, aiming to instill into their players. And if Ollie Pope th- thought it was a good shot option, and that I guess he's 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 sticking true to what his captain and his coach want him to stick true to. But um, it was a piece of funkiness, uh, and I think that funkiness is also sort of a, uh, I guess, a salient feature of the Basball era. He got outside the line of the ball and almost was facing the keeper. As he tried to swivel the ball behind square, it took the toe of his bat again, and he was caught. Another start by Oli Pope that wasn't maximised on. On day one, if you remember, around the same period, Joe Root got Cameron Green out to sort of create a double wicket over and then bring England some sort of breathing space or some breathing room. They, they had a bit of relief. On day two, it was Green's turn to return the favour. Root went to take on the pull shot, was hurried by it, took his glove, and Kerry took the catch. Root was livid. However, Green's front foot offence had saved Joe Root, and he was still in the crease. As Australia had bowled another no ball, Cameron Green had another bowled another no ball. It's fifth of the spell. Duckett continued to take on the pull shot, as we discussed earlier. He played 21 of them. Supposedly, um... However, I, I think he had sort of tried to evolve the way he was trying to play the pull shot uh, as he continued to top edge him. He sort of got his elbow higher and he's got his bat angle sort of 
um, it was sort of more of an up-to-down shot, so he was trying to just flat-bat it down onto the ground. Um, on 98, the idea was to do the same thing, but instead the ball rose of a length, caught the top of his bat, and David Warner took a sharp catch down a fine leg. Jubilation for the Aussies, jubilation for the Aussie fans, heartbreak for Ben Duckett. Another dismissal, though, that could have been avoided, 100, that was well attainable. And Joe Root had seemingly also not learnt from the previous scare. With the legside field surrounding him, Root decided he was going to go over them. Instead, another top edge, and the irony was that the ball almost didn't carry to Smith. So, a shot that started off with the intention to go over the fielder almost didn't have enough on it to sort of carry to the fielder. Um, highlighting that the intention certainly fell short in its execution. It was chaotic. It was, to an extent, self-detonation. Um, but... I guess it was true to what Basball was. England believed that they could take on the short ball. England believed that the right shot option was to take on the short ball. However, it just didn't execute. But I think the chaos perhaps is sort of... I think the chaos does justify a due moment of reflection. In this short ball barrage by Australia, England played at 63% of the balls. They lost three wickets. Could have easily been four if, if Martin Manus Labuschagne uh, held on to the catch of Harry Brook. In New, Ze- New Zealand early in this year, they lost five wickets to a similar plan. Thanks to Crickmas for that stat, as, as usual, the, the work is great. This reflection will probably never occur because I think it, it isn't basball to reflect on the consequences of shots that individuals thought they could play. It isn't basball, it isn't Brendan McCollum and Ben Stokes to go to sort of Ollie Pope and Joe Root and be like, why did you take it on? There were three fielders in the deep. Joe, you almost got out to that ball. Why would you take it on? But perhaps I think the issue is rather the fact that freedom has been... The fact that the freedom that has been given to the players under the Stokes and McCollum reign has, to an extent, maybe led to a false perception and a false confidence of their short ball playing abilities. Maybe the players need to realise that this is this one shot that they actually can't take on. And if they can't take on, then in their minds it does then become a shot that they don't think is the right scoring option, right? Um... And perhaps if that moderation was exercised last evening, England could have perhaps had Australia on the brink of desperation. Um, the soft dismissals wouldn't have occurred, um, but now, in fact, they're recurring soft dismissals, and the soft dismissals that are letting Australia constantly back into the test match happen in the first game, though. Uh, happened in the first game, too, as well. So I, I guess the issue at hand is that at what point does the freedom turn into recklessness and stupidity? Are these words even fair? Are these words even allowed in the discussion of baseball? Has Anderson blocked these words on Twitter? Who knows? But what is true is that Stokes wants to entertain, and his team is certainly entertaining. And I think you have to sort of look at two sides of the picture. You have to paint the picture in, in its full scope and say that without sort of this freedom of taking on the scoring options they believe they can take on, without this freedom of attacking shots that they believe they're on, without this freedom that sort of alleviates the stigma of defending and leaving. England wouldn't have the run rate and runs that they had in the evening. They wouldn't be at 278. They wouldn't have put Australia in that situation in desperation. Um, the, the resurgence of the likes of Zach Crawley, Ben Duncan and Ollie Pope perhaps wouldn't have occurred. It's a double-edged sword for now. However, the, I think the fate of Basball and the way it's perceived, is it going to be perceived as successful, is it going to be perceived as reckless, is it going to be perceived as unsustainable, still lies in England's hands, because what, the 278 for four, Harry Brook and Ben Stokes, and those to follow, Johnny Bairstow, have the opportunity to get a lead, and get England set up well in this test match, and well in the series, and potentially get them squared up in the series, and then all of a sudden what, 
Basball succeeds, the attacking regime succeeds. So I, I think it's a bit premature to sort of ask questions, or I guess at least answer questions such as, is it stupid, is it reckless? Um, does Basball need to be, I guess, a bit more sort of moderated and restrained? Because I, I think that is sort of antithetical to the, the, the ideology of Basball. But ideologies can evolve. Ask Josep Guardiola, ask um, Alex Ferguson. I think for Basball, for now, they're going to stick to what they have. Um, and to an extent, it's, it's working. Because for the majority of the day, it worked. And I think England are still ahead of the game. Or at least in a good position in the game. I hope you enjoyed. If you are enjoying these daily breakdowns, please drop a follow on your podcast app. Please leave me a good review. Please share these podcasts and give any feedback to these podcasts. Stay tuned for day three. It's going to be another, another enthralling day with a lot to discuss. See you soon.